you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. You know, uh, growing up as a kid in the 80s, I'm going to take you back to this. When it came time to formulate the Christmas list, my parents would sit me down at the kitchen table and hand me the fat Sears catalog, right? Some of you remember the Sears catalog. Kids today, I guess you just hop on YouTube and you Google what you want for Christmas. But we had the privilege of sitting there with the Sears catalog and and thumbing through the catalog. And my parents would say, okay, put down some things that you want and then things you need. Don't forget to put down clothes on your list. Now, what eight-year-old is like, give me all the jeans you can afford, right? I mean, I'm flipping through all the toys, not alone the, the, the things I need. You know, when you think about things you want and things you need, sometimes in our relationship with God, we get those things confused. So let me ask you this. What do you need this morning from God? What is your deepest need today that you're asking God to work in your life? And do you believe God can meet that need? Not only what is your need, but do you believe God can meet that need you have today? We're in a series called God With Us. And what we're looking at this Christmas season is how the Bible says that God is with us. And and what does that mean? Now, last week we said that we live in a world of broken promises, that people are going to break promises to us all the time, but that you can trust a God who's with you, uh, who keeps his promises. This morning, uh, what we want to look at is a God that provides, and how does God provide in your life? How does God work and provide in my life? So we want to look at a providing God. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, or if you've got a a Bible app on your phone, uh, you can open that up to Matthew chapter 1, or maybe you're looking uh, for an app to put on your phone. I would suggest you get the YouVersion app, and you can find that in your app stores, and that's got all kinds of Bible reading plans on it, different translations. I preach from the ESV uh, version, and so you can download that version and follow along with me as well. So in Matthew chapter 1, what's taken place so far is Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And so in the first 17 verses, he gives us a genealogy list. And that genealogy list is really important because what that's showing is that Jesus has the right lineage to be on the throne of David and to take the rightful rule and reign of the throne of David one day. Now, in verse 18, he's going to turn and he's turning into giving us the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. So look in verse 18. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place In this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now that word betrothed, I know we don't use that in our common uh, language and and not in our common relationships. The Jewish betrothal period is, is very loosely based on what we do in engagements. But in this culture of this day, in the, in the Far East, there were a lot of arranged marriages. And so two families would get together and arrange a marriage. Usually the bride-to-be 
would be somewhere around 12, 13, 14. Uh, so we believe Mary would, would kind of been an early teenager. Uh, the man would be 17, 18. And so two families would get together and they would, you know, say, all right, we're going to have this arranged marriage. And those two parties would enter into a contract. And that started the betrothal period. Now, that's where they were legally married at that moment. But then you had about a year of that betrothal period uh, before it was the wedding. Then at the wedding, uh, the, the, the groom would come to the bride's house. He would pick up the bride. He would take her back to his house. They'd have the wedding. And then get this, for the reception, like at least seven days of a party. Right? Isn't that awesome? And all the parents out there are like, no, not paying for a seven-day party. <laughs> you know, they would, they would feast for seven days, and that was called the marriage feast. And then they would be uh, married, married at that point. And so notice Mary and Joseph have entered into this betrothal period, but Matthew really points something out, and he does it twice within the text. Luke is the other gospel author that gives us the birth narrative, and he does it a couple of times in his birth narrative. Notice what he says, when Mary uh, was betrothed to Joseph, verse 18, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so Matthew is pointing that out, that before Mary and Joseph uh, had sexual contact with each other, before they came together, there's something he's pointing out, not only the purity of Mary, but also the miraculous work of God. He has shown you that she is a virgin up to this point of her pregnancy. And when she's pregnant, she's still a virgin. And this is where we say uh, that the virgin birth is miraculous. This is one thing that stands us apart from all other religions and groups is we say our Savior was virgin born and it was a work of God. Now for some of you, you're thinking, well, hang on. I know Greek mythology and I know Roman mythology and I know a little bit about some other groups. And through history, this isn't the only claim of a virgin birth. That there are other groups like the the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, uh, other religions that claim a virgin birth as well. And, And you're exactly right. They do that. For instance, the legend is that Alexander the Great was virgin born by the power of Zeus through a snake that impregnated his mother. Okay, Virgin born, they claim that. Buddha's mother is said to have become pregnant when a white elephant entered her body at the time she was conceived. So what you're going to have, yeah, that was probably a, you heard the what coming from my left. What you're going to have is every other group, when they explain their version of a virgin birth, is their God had to manifest himself in some way physically to make that virgin birth happen. But what does Matthew point out in verse 18? He says this virgin birth, very distinctly, is from the Holy Spirit. So we are saying this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't take on some type of physical form when Mary became impregnated with Jesus. That this is the miraculous work of God. It's of the Holy Spirit. You know, how many of you remember Larry King? You guys remember Larry King, right? You know, know, CNN, wore the suspenders all those years, did all those famous interviews. He was interviewed once, and Larry King was asked, if you could interview anybody in history throughout time, 
who would it be? Just think about that for a minute. If you got a shot, a shot of sitting down with somebody, who, who would you want to sit down with? You know, maybe some of you want to sit down with Abraham Lincoln or you know, David from the Bible or Ruth from the Bible. I mean, who, who would you want to sit down with? Larry King said, I'd want to sit down with Jesus Christ. And the interviewer said, well, why would you want to interview Jesus? Larry King said this, and I quote. He said, I'd like to ask him if he indeed was virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history for me. See, what we have with Jesus in this birth is he did not come from the seed of man. So the the sin nature was not passed down to Jesus as Romans would teach us. That this is a divine work of God. That this Jesus is fully God, fully man. This child. But A.W. Tozer says it this way. And I love the way he puts it in his book, The Knowledge of Holy. He says, if Jesus were only human and not divine, then his death would be meaningless. His resurrection and ascension into heaven would be hoaxes. He would not be able to save you from your sin, and mankind would be forever lost with no hope of redemption. And so we see here in verse 18 that Mary is pregnant with child. In verse 19, Joseph finds out. Boy, don't you want to be in Joseph's shoes when you have that conversation? I mean, how would you react if you were Joseph? Mary texted you one night. Joseph? Yeah, news for you. I'm pregnant. But, but don't worry. I haven't cheated on you. This is the work of God. I'm bearing the Messiah. The, the one that we as Jewish people have been praying for for years upon years upon years upon years. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. How is you now as Joseph, how are you going to break that news to your parents? How are you going to break that news to your friends? You putting that on Facebook? Congrats, Mary's pregnant. Don't worry, it's virgin born. Right? Hey, what are your folks saying? What's the community saying? Right? I mean, if you are Joseph, you're fearful right now, aren't you? Mom and dad going to kick you out? Is the community going to run you out? You going to lose all your friends? What's going to happen? See, Joseph's reaction in verse 19 is this, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is a legal marriage. And so by grounds of unfaithfulness, Joseph could divorce Mary. Now, who's this Joseph guy? Because we really don't have a whole lot in the Gospels about Joseph. We know he was a carpenter because Jesus would later follow in his footsteps and be a carpenter until the age of 30 when he starts his public ministry. But what is also the verse saying? He says he's a just man, right? But notice he also loves Mary. I mean, you can, you can infer this out of verse 19. He's unwilling to put her to shame. He doesn't want to shame Mary through any of this process. And so he's resolved to uh, divorce her quietly. But then verse 20, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and he settles Joseph's spirit, settles Joseph's mind. And notice verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, as he's pondering all this, as he's, all this is rolling around in his mind and he's staying up at light, late at night processing all this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
The angel of the Lord is simply saying, Joseph, Mary did nothing wrong. She, she is bearing the Messiah who is on a divine mission that God has out of his infinite wisdom chosen you two for this. And this is your mission, Joseph. Don't, don't do anything wrong to Mary. Don't divorce her. Take her as your wife. This is the divine work of God. And notice the divine mission of Jesus. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I love what Sinclair Ferguson in his book, In Christ Alone, says. He said, Jesus did not come to add to our comforts. He did not come to help those who are already helping themselves or to fill life with more pleasant experiences. He came on a deliverance mission to save sinners, and to do so, he had to destroy the work of the devil. What is your greatest need in life? See, your greatest need is not healing. Your greatest need is not money. Your greatest need is not a nice house. Your greatest need is not a new job. Your greatest need is not peace in your marriage. Your greatest need is not peace in your family. Are all those important needs? Yes, all those are needs. God can meet all those needs. But what is at the fundamental greatest need of every person breathing today? someone to save them from their sins. Amen? That's my greatest need. That's your greatest need. And Jesus can meet you in that need. Because what Jesus does is when you place your faith and your trust in Christ, Jesus saves you from the penalty of your sin, which is hell for all of eternity, because you've sinned against a holy God. Jesus saves you from the power of sin in your life. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, no longer does sin have power and dominion over you now as a believer. And then praise God one day, when you die as a believer in Jesus Christ, he takes you to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. And for all of eternity, he saves you from the presence of sin. This is the work of Jesus. He saves us from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of sin forever. And if you've not placed your faith in him, if you've yet to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. In just a few moments, when we wrap up this message, you come to know Jesus. Don't put that off another day. Don't put it off another moment. Today can be that day of salvation where you come to know this Jesus who can save you from your sins. And who are the people he saves? Do you notice in verse 21? He says he will save his people from their sins. Who are his people? His people are the people who call out to him. That's who his people are. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in Christ shall not perish but have eternal life. This morning you're a part of that whosoever. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, no matter your history, you call out to Christ and he can save you from your sins. But notice this promise also of who this Savior is. Verse 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What is your greatest need today? Can God meet that need? What does it mean when those three transformative words are given? God with us. 
The God who spoke everything into existence is with you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses is with you. The God who parted the Red Sea is with you. The God who made the sun stand still at the battle of Ai for 24 hours is with you. The God who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead is with you. The God of the Bible is with you. How does that change you fundamentally on an everyday practical level? When you hear those words, God is with you. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 23 for a moment. It's going to be on the screen as well. But let's go to Psalm 23 and let's answer that question. What kind of God is with us? Psalm 23 may be a familiar psalm to many of you. Maybe this is one of your first time hearing it. And I just want to invite you over the next few moments to to lean in and, and press in on that truth of God's word that he's with you. And if there's any part of unbelief of that, ask God to change your heart and your mind to help him strengthen your thoughts and your heart and your passions this morning to know he's with you. Because David in Psalm 23 gives us a picture of a shepherd. We are the sheep within the psalm. God is our shepherd. And notice the work of God in being with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see within that psalm a God who shepherds us, leads us, a God who provides for us, puts us in green pastures, a God who restores us. He's a restorative God. When we come to God within our anxieties, our depression, our sadness, our fears, he's a God that brings restoration and revival within our souls. He's a God that protects us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's your rod and your staff that I need. It's a a rod of correction at times, putting us back on the paths of righteousness. It's your staff that's, that's making sure I'm going the direction I need to go. But he's a God that celebrates with us. Verse 5 and 6, there's coming a day in heaven where we sit at the table of the Lord and we get to celebrate who he is and what he has done. This is the God that is with you. And notice what Jesus does in John chapter 10. And we'll have this verse on the screen. When Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he says, I'm that type of shepherd. I'm that good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, 14 through 17, as the fulfillment of all of Psalm 23, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life down to take it back again. In the Christian life, God is with you. And I know for all of us, 
we want not to be in the valleys of the Christian life. We, we want to be on the mountaintop all the time, don't we? We don't sign up for the valley of the shadow of death. But this is where we live. This is where we are. This is the ups and downs of life. And sometimes we want to push back with God and say, well, no, no, hang on. I don't want to be taken through the valley. I want the mountaintop. But why would you trust a God to put you on the top of a mountain if you're not trusting him to take you to the valley to get there? This is the God we have who is with us. He's in the, with us in the ups. He's with us in the downs. He's with us constantly. When you're battling things within your life, you're not battling them alone. He's a God who's constantly there saying, I'm with you in this. I'm with you. I'm providing for you. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, when you and I hurt deeply, what we really need is not an explanation from God, but a revelation of God. We need to see how great God is. We need to recover our lost perspective on life. Things get out of proportion. We are suffering. And it takes a vision of something bigger than ourselves to get life's dimensions adjusted again. And that's what it means when God is with you. That this God of all the Bible, of all eternity, the most powerful God, says, I'm with you in everything you are going through. So what's the need you have today? Are you trusting God to meet that need, particularly right now. Whatever it is, the need you have, the need you've been praying about, are you trusting in God to meet it? Because if you've trusted God with your soul, can you not trust your God with this need you have right now? Because here's the good news, that God meets all our needs in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God meets all those needs through what Christ has done for us. And so this morning, you trust in this God with your needs. You trust in the God who will provide the answer in the way that you need in his time, in his way. You trust him when you're on top of the mountain and things are great. You trust him when you're in the valley and things are hard. Because he's a God who's not left you. He's a God that's with you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org give.